welcome to Made in India SLP podcast with your host Kinari and Rabab. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Made in India SLP. In today's episode, we are going to actually dive into a different segment of speech language pathology. We will be discussing all about literacy and bilingualism. Rabab, why don't you just go ahead and just introduce our speaker? It is my absolute pleasure to introduce our guest speaker, Dr. Jayashree Shanbal. She is a distinguished researcher and has done pioneering work in literacy. She's an associate professor in language pathology, head telecenter for persons with communication disorders, which is TCPD, and the chairperson learning disability clinic at Aish Mysore. She's a published author in various national and international journals. Dr. Shanbal has contributed to various researches pertaining to lexical processing, texting and aphasia, and phonological awareness in bilingual, biliterate children. Dr. Shanbal, it's such a pleasure to have you on today. I'm hoping you can go ahead and address our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much, Kinari and Rabab. It's my absolute pleasure and thank you for inviting me to this platform. So Dr. Shanbal, this is one episode I've been like really excited about <laughs> because we not a lot of speech language pathologists address mm-hmm. this aspect of our role and responsibilities. So we all, all know right. the connection between spoken language and written language is so well established. So even before we begin, can we just take a few minutes and just discuss what our roles and responsibilities look like, especially for assessment and treatment of these disorders, uh, targeting reading and writing needs? Oh, yes. Like you said, I think this is also one of my favorite topics to discuss. And I guess um, everybody is supposed to know how specific their roles are when it comes to reading and writing problems, especially in the school children. So the SLPs, uh, what I mean, uh, do have a very important role throughout the entire process of learning in school. And this uh, does not only refer to other conditions of, uh, you know, developmental in nature. These are also referring to those children who could have everything else normal, but still they have reading and writing issues in schools. So uh, many times uh, children at risk for reading disorders should be a major concern for speech language pathologists and therapists in order to create a favorable condition to improve their language skills as well as their cognitive abilities. So that's wherein I always refer to it as cognitive linguistic abilities. And these, as we all know, are very important and they contribute to their school performance. And now um, there have been several skills that we understand are important and they warrant to success in reading and writing in school children. The most important one I would say is the oral language development. You know, that's wherein our role is uh, definitely asked for. And this is essential, as all of us know, it's a primary language skill. And it is important for the secondary language skills, such as reading and writing. So when we say oral language skills, we refer to it as phonology, morphology, syntax, semantics, and pragmatics. So in every aspect of this, I think SLPs need to chip in and let uh, the parents of these children know where these children are actually lacking in. So we need a thorough assessment from SLPs 
in order to know what is your status on all of these domains. And yes, uh, when we refer to phonological awareness, as we all talk so much about it, you know very well, when children have these deficits, it's not just me who's talking about it, but I guess this is happening, uh, you know, uh, across the globe. There's a lot of research happening in these areas. And there's a strong correlation between phonological awareness and its contribution to reading and writing. So that's where I think, again, we are going to work on these uh, children. And yes, we are the one who will be able to do a thorough assessment of not just the phonological awareness skills, but also the processing skills. And yes, so a clinician should definitely have a good knowledge about the sound system of the language and how these things are actually processed. Now, talking about that, uh, I would also say that comprehension is yet another area. Okay, so language comprehension is something we think is very neglected. Many of us focus only on the production part of it. So when we say oral language, people are only interested to know how the child is producing. But I think SLPs definitely understand that there's something going wrong with comprehension and that's why production is affected. So a speech language pathologist will definitely assess the comprehension skills as well as the production skills. And when it comes to intervention, especially treatment, when we talk about treatment by speech language pathologists, I think our intervention should encompass decoding and coding at the word level to improve reading and spelling accuracy, fluency, prosody, text comprehension, as well as writing. So when we diagnose a child with dyslexia or learning disability, I think we are the ones who are going to work with the team along with the educators, along with psychologists, and along with various other professionals like the occupational therapists in order to see what best can be done with these uh, children. Yes, so I think I, I, I was like very, very uh, extensive in saying that, but I always felt, you know, there's a need that SLPs need to understand as to what exactly are their roles and responsibilities when it comes to assessment and intervention of children with reading and writing problems. Yes, Dr. Shanmal, you're absolutely right. We do need a thorough guideline about what role we play. So thank you for that explanation. It definitely helps. So learning disability as a whole has come under the light globally in recent times. There are lots of questions about its recognition, assessment, the treatment of learning disability in India, as well as all over the world. As an accomplished researcher, what is your take on it? Yes, Rabab, what you're saying is true. Uh, learning disability has definitely received good amount of attention of late, as education is considered the mandatory part of any individual's life. And anything that's related to difficulties in achieving education has definitely been taken more seriously, even from the policymakers. So now um, I think we are all interested in catching them young. That's the mantra. So yes, early identification, early diagnosis, and early ident uh, intervention is something that we are looking forward to. And yes, added on to this, I would also say the you know, multilingual scenario that we are in. Yeah. The identification of LD within this scenario is yet another challenge that I am looking off late in the clinics. So this is yet another challenge for all of us to be resolved 
when we confirm whether a child really has learning disability or not, because this multilingual scenario is going to be a big, big hurdle for us when we are making a diagnosis. Yeah. That's right. Especially coming from a country like India, that's so culturally diverse. There are so True. many languages, like me individually, I'm multilingual. I know like four languages. It's a common right. Indian quality, a great one, I think, <laughs> for all of us to have. Yeah, right. And yeah. so, Dr. Shambal, can you shed more light on biliteracy as a topic and its impact on bilingual children and especially in a culturally diverse country like India? Yes. Now, uh, like I said, you know, this was the research that I conducted as part of my uh, PhD program. So this is, again, something very close to my heart. I think even when I was a student, I would always wonder how is it that people are able to differentiate children coming from a different language background uh, versus children actually having a problem. Okay, because I think most of us have different native languages, but we learn a different language in school. So like you said, you know, it's a common scenario in India. I mean, it, it definitely surprises others in the other parts of the world mm -hmm. as to how Indians learn so many languages. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to learn and it's not so hard yeah. for us to learn. I would say that I think, yeah. it, like you said, we learn at least four to five languages and it's very common in India. Okay, so now, uh, as we said, uh, like a country, uh, India, which is multilingual and multicultural, I, I don't think it will be wrong if I say we are also a multiliterate country, right? Yeah. So we have been uh, not only learning, you know, our native language to read and write, we are learning yet another language, which is not our native language, and we're also learning English, again, which mm -hmm. is not our native language. Okay, so it's more a multiliterate country because if you see in our country, we are more into the, you know, tri-language formula, okay, wherein uh, a child is learning to read and write at least three languages in most schools. Okay, so I would say in most schools, children are almost learning three languages. So um, a child is not only biliterate, I would call them as multiliterate. And you know how this um, growing globalization it definitely urges the parents to enroll their children in schools where children are learning English apart from their own native language. So yes, this scenario is uh, quite much there in India as well as in the other parts of the world. And uh, like in itself, I would always say that uh, this diversity is something you know that we have to start thinking about and this diversity in terms of language, in terms of culture, definitely has an influence on acquiring a lot of skills related to language. Yeah, um, I think that is true. Uh, when I moved to United States, I think everyone around me was surprised. I spoke five languages. <laughs> right. And they were like, how do you speak so many languages? I said, I don't know. Yeah. I just know them. You it's know, like we magic. don't think so much about <laughs> yeah. it. Like when we, we are learning, when we exactly. are language. So um, in our yeah. practice, uh, we may often come across parents uh, of children wondering if their child has learning disability. If it does not look properly, it can be so easily masked. I know for a fact in the Western countries, they have dedicated tests to assess literacy. 
And uh, one such common test is the TILS, the test of integrated language and literacy skills, which is used for kids from like ages of six to 18 years. So as an Indian clinician, right. how am I to identify and assess learning disability? Are there any specific tests that we can utilize? Yes, uh, Kineri, uh, there are various tests that are available now. But yes, we still have to develop a lot more of them because, you know, we are such a huge country with a lot of languages and a lot of dialects. Uh, so, yes, I would not, uh, you know, totally commit saying that we have all the tests, you know, in all the languages. But yes, we are heading towards that. And hopefully one day we will have, uh, you know, a battery of tests which can be used for all the languages, okay, uh, along with English, I would say. So one of these tools that I developed as part of my doctoral thesis uh, is called as assessment of biliterate children with uh, language-based learning disability. Okay, so now what happens uh, here is in this test, we have two parallel tests in Canada and in English, and a host of skills such as the phonological awareness skills. We have rapid naming tasks, we have uh, written language tasks, we have uh, reading fluency tasks, and then we have reading comprehension tasks, auditory discrimination, and listening comprehension tasks. So basically now, since I had to focus it on uh, children in Karnataka, so this was an intention of developing this test. And we did administer this to check for its validity on children with learning disability. So what I could find is when I was reading through um, articles or you know um, getting materials for my review of literature and so on, I just realized that uh, there is this concept of something called as differential dyslexia. Okay, now what's mm -hmm. this differential dyslexia? Now uh, a child he has problem in both the languages, okay, literacy of both the languages, but the problem is different in each of these languages. So for example, a child, you know, might be just uh, very good in Kannada when compared to English okay but if you take it as a whole okay this child with LD definitely comes below the norms for both English and Kannada so LD is not just specific to a language that is what we need to understand it is a disability at a higher level okay but the gradation of problem can be different in the two languages and definitely the nature of orthography the system of language is all that is going to contribute to this processing difficulty okay just like how you and me might find it a little difficult to follow any other uh, script or any other language okay that's what i'm referring to as differential problems in both the languages but as a whole, learning disability cannot be specific to a particular language, okay? Learning disability is a problem wherein a child will have problems in all the languages, but the severity can differ from each one, okay? Now, that was one tool that I said. And the other tools that we have currently in India, we also did a project which was funded by the AISH Research Fund. And this was in Malayalam English biliterate children. So there's one more project on that. We have other studies that are conducted in the country for Hindi English. We also have Punjabi English. Okay, so there have been a couple of tests, Odia English. We found a few studies wherein they did for Gujarati and English. 
Okay, so there are some studies that are already available, a few tests that are already available. See, now uh, the thing is, I said uh, often in Indian children, we find that they have relatively lesser problem in their first language than English. You know, the logic is very simple because we are more, uh, you know, um, closer to transparent languages, which means to say, however we speak or however we speak or say or spell, that's how we are going to write it. Right. Whereas uh, mm -hmm. the language English is a little farther away from us because, you know, there are some irregular way of, you know, processing uh, English language. OK, so that that's why I said that when you are developing biliterate tools, you have to keep in mind the differences in orthography. And it's quite, quite expected that a child will have better processing for languages such as ours, which ha which is more direct when compared to languages such as English, which are more indirect kind of languages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, thank you, Dr. Shanbal, for that explanation. But I have a follow-up question. Um, if, so if I'm a clinician, do I start testing the patient or the child in his primary language? Or, or let's say I get a child speaking Hindi and English or any other language and English. So do I start, which language should I start testing in first? Yes, I think that this is a very common question and the most difficult thing for clinicians in India. Okay, now the idea is, you know, you can just have an interview with the parents okay and find out that what is the um, language use of the child you know which means to say how much percentage of uh, which language is this child using more or less okay so you can start off your assessment from that language okay and then move mm -hmm. to the second language okay now i'm this only with respect to assessment but I think when you go on to intervention you will realize that you have to back on that language wherein the child's concepts are much better than the other language okay that means he has a better uh, uh, word vocabulary in one particular language and it's already represented it is established and uh, you know the child is familiar with that language that's what you want to start off with Okay, and many times uh, mm -hmm. there are certain common strategies with, which we use for both the languages. You just try it on one language, you will see how beautifully our children are able to do a strategic transfer. So mm -hmm. that's wherein you can save your time also. Okay, yeah, okay. I hope I was yeah. you know, yeah. answering that question, right? No, yeah. You explained yeah. that well, yeah. I think it answers our questions, yeah. So once that we have completed our comprehensive assessment and the child has been diagnosed with learning disability, now what would a typical treatment look like? Uh, I'm familiar with Orton-Gilliam approach, which is more structured, more direct, multi-sensory approach, which we can tailor to the child's need, especially if he's having difficulties with spelling, reading or writing. What are some approaches that you recommend specifically for our Indian population? Yeah, Kineri, I think uh, Orton Gillingham approach is something that all of us are familiar and we do, uh, you know, read a lot about it. 
but of course um, not uh, really you know talking about one particular approach i would just suggest that uh, clinicians should take note of the skills and the deficits of children with ld and tailor make their plan and activities for each child accordingly okay and as an slp i would recommend that if you find that a child with ld has oral language issues the approach should focus on improving their oral language skills first so everything is logic based that's what i'm trying to say okay you can use any sort of strategies that you think you can figure out when you're doing through the therapy because each child of ld is going to be very different and i keep telling this to students also that you know remember these are the children who have adequate iq okay so that means to say they have some amount of cognitive skills and they might be using some strategies and it's important for a clinician to identify whether the strategy that they are using is the right strategy or the wrong strategy so it's just more like giving them a strategy more explicitly okay and clearing it out to think in a particular way or use your cognitive skills in a particular way and that's the reason i said as slps i think our focus should always be more on the cognitive and language skills and yeah and working on listening skills is very important for us so we have to uh, see through that we have got the auditory discrimination skills right if it's not fine with the child then work on auditory discrimination skills work on listening comprehension skills phonological awareness and processing skills reading decoding skills is very important and then move to fluency reading and then move to reading comprehension and then written language skills so nowhere if you see i did i did not mention handwriting skills okay i intended to say written language skills because our intention is to make sure that the child is able to communicate through his language using writing that's it okay so we just want the child to you know improve his written language skills rather than just the handwriting skills this is pertinent to slps so that's that's how i would look at it and i think uh, you know uh, like i always say i appreciate all the approaches that are available and uh, have a sound knowledge of all of these approaches many times you would be using combination of these approaches you may not want to you know depend on one particular approach like i said you may not find a homogeneous group of ld wherein you can fit them into one particular approach yes i think multisensory approach is definitely going to help uh, these children with learning disability on a long run so you could go for it using an eclectic approach Yes, thank you, Dr. Sharma. I really liked how you numbered all the steps so that it makes more perfect, logical sense about which step do I take next. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially how we are not focusing on handwriting, but more as as a mode of communication. Because more importantly, as speech language pathologists, we are the communication experts. So that's important. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um so dr shanbal when i think about learning disability and a child as a patient we do know that one of the best team members is the parent but as right. a parent i'm sure it's difficult for them you know they're seeing their child struggling with reading and writing so done our comprehensive evaluation at the beginning and we have a diagnosis is there any specific guidelines or counseling techniques that you use when you're dealing with talking to the parent about what learning disability entails what are the next steps they have to take 
and how the child's future is going to look. Yes, I think I always believed that, you know, especially when you're working with uh, children with learning disability, parents are definitely a very, very important part of your team. So you could not be working just in the clinics and let the, let the child go with the parent like that right? Mm -hmm. So it's important that you make the parent understand. So uh, no matter what is the condition, I think the moment we announce to the parents that the child has a disability, it definitely causes a lot of anxiety and stress to the parents, okay? So as professionals, I think uh, we need to be explaining to the parents in a very explicit yet a subtle manner about the problems of the child. Okay, and I would always recommend that the parents should take advice from professionals and accept the condition in the first place so we can tell them what can be done next. Okay, so I think that's where is our challenge, you know, making the parents accept. Okay, and I would always suggest the clinicians that do not hesitate to give out the results of the study because there's no secret in that and you're just giving out to the parents so there is no confidentiality as such in that you could talk to them more openly tell them what each of those results actually give out as an analysis interpret the results for them and tell them on what areas you would like to work and where you could see a good prognosis in the child so I think we need to be more open about the tests that we do and the test results that have come through. So on the other hand, I would also suggest that the parents uh, do not rely on information that is just posted on the internet. You know, it can be either a boon or a bane, you know, because yeah. you see most parents coming and telling you that I saw this on the net. Is this true? Mm -hmm. I am not able to sleep yeah. because of that. You know, so I think, uh, it, it, you know, most of the time it may not be authentic. And at times uh, this may make them feel that every child they see would look like a child with disability. And maybe the child is not really a child with disability. So I think awareness uh, in consultation with professionals is very important for the parents. So they have to seek help from the professionals, not just because they feel that their children have a disability, but just to understand, you know, what disability actually means. That's it. Okay, so sensitizing the parents is also a very, very important part of our profession, I would say. Yes, Rabha. That's right. Yeah, especially when, you know, it's amazing if they play a positive role yeah. in the child therapy right. program. There are so many children I see and when the parents are on board, maybe this is not research backed, but I feel like there's so much more yeah. progress seen when there's a positive learning environment. That is true. Yeah. True. Um, true. My brother was diagnosed with learning disability, dyslexia and dyscalculia to be specific. Even in those days, he had to undergo a complete battery of tests and the IQ testing revealed that he was actually in above average intelligence range. We did receive a lot of help from the school, especially the special educators. Back in the school days, he excelled in other things such as music and was the captain of school. An interesting fact is that if you meet him, you can never tell or make out that this individual has learning disabilities. The other positives just easily mask the LD component. 
Yeah. So maybe just to add on to what she was saying, I think that was a very vital point. And I keep saying this in a lot of my awareness programs. You know, parents need to know that you, there might be a lot of other skills that these children have. You know, because they're so worried about just their reading and writing skills, somehow I think these things get, you know, neglected. So you do have to make an attempt to find out what are the strengths of these children. Okay. And sometimes, you know, that's what, you know, comes out and comes through so well. You know, they might do so well or excel so well in other areas. It is not so mandatory that everybody has to top in their academic skills. Everybody has to, you know, be the topmost, uh, you know, professional in terms of Definitely. being a doctor or an engineer or anything else like that, you know. Yeah. If, if you can, you know, kind of convince the parents on that, I think half your work is done. And that's what is required now. Yeah. yeah. Just on a side note, my brother just went on and he became like, he went on his part to study a chartered accountancy. So, oh, that's so, nice. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's has nice. Been, that's very you know, nice. Magic of numbers. Maybe it was just the math in school, you know, like yeah. how math yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's nice. So, Dr. Shanbal, we've uh, come to the conclusion and we summarized it very well that SLP's knowledge plays a big role in normal and disordered language acquisition, and it has various roles in the development of reading and writing. You have done extensive research on this topic, and I am going to add in here and say that I admire the work you do in this field, so thank you. Thank India you so much. It, and we appreciate your work. <laughs> um, can you share more about your research findings with our listeners? Yeah, sure. Like I was just mentioning to you before about, you know, a lot of things that we are doing with biliterate children, because it's always been a question in my head. I told you this before also that, you know, I even as a student, I always wondered, you know, what would we do if we have a child, you know, exposed to so many languages? So I think uh, that's where we have been continuing to do a lot of research. We have now tried uh, finding out what's the influence of language use or proficiency on um, a child with learning disability and um, how is their processing going on. So we've been doing a lot of neuroscan studies. We've been doing a lot of ERPs. We've done a lot of eye tracking studies. And of course, a couple of reports are already published. So you could just find them when you Google it. But um, eye tracking studies is something that we're looking forward to publish. And you would see so much of clarity in the way they are processing. And it is so much to do with their central skills, not really to do with their peripheral skills. So which means to say that um, somebody who's working with this child should work more at their cognitive and language processing rather than you know just making them uh, read and write repeatedly that may not really work with these children okay and another thing that I would uh, like to tell all of you is you know it's all about you know bottom-up and top-down processing and you need to find out you know where their difficulties are whether they're bottom-up they're more top-down or they're both you could find that children have problems in both bottom up and top down. And obviously, these are the children who turn out to becoming severe 
learning disability kids. So you need to identify whether you have to start working on bottom-up skills or work on top-down skills and how is that going to help you? You know, like I just mentioned before, we've seen a lot of research telling us uh, that when you work on phonological awareness skills and when you're working on auditory discrimination skills, you're actually working more from bottom-up towards top-down. And when it's more, uh, you know, related to contextual information, more of it's more of central processing, it's more of, you know, meaning all of this is what is happening in your top down processing. So you need to work on both is what I'm trying to say. In most cases, mm -hmm. if you have doubts, whether you know, it's bottom up that's affected more or top down work on both of them, it's never going to be unuseful for these children, it will benefit them somehow. So I'm telling you this based on the research that we have done as part of our funded project at Aish. And I would also like to put across a note, you know, don't leave the research findings right there. See how you can implicate them to your clinics. Okay, so when I talk about that, I will always uh, tell the clinicians, please have a sound knowledge about the normal aspects of speech language development. Okay, they're all your basics. You understand these things, you then know what to do with these children. So I would definitely uh, admit uh, watching so many students being trained and all of that, that we are still not very good at our basics. So get your basics right, because that's not only going to help you, but that's going to help the children that you're going to treat later on. And yes, you should be aware of, of the theories and models of language acquisition. Okay, so it, it should not be learned like a boring subject. I think most of the students do this, but you know, they realize it later that this is what we were trying to apply. Okay, so you know, these can also include uh, learning development of reading writing skills, along with the primary language abilities such as listening and speaking skills. So uh, research strongly suggests that children who are deviant or delayed in these skills, they're required to be understood since they will give us a very good idea of how delayed or how much are they deviant from the norms. Okay, and this will also help the clinician to understand what kind of teaching or training strategies we can adopt. You know, whether they're direct strategies, whether they're indirect strategies, do you have to go in for a direct instruction? You know, or you have to go in just for a strategy. That's what you're going to get to know. Or what level of scaffolded instructions do these children require? and which population will require how much of scaffolded instruction because you don't want to keep supporting uh, a child who is you know kind of independent by himself it's not required right so you should know how much of scaffolded instruction you should be giving to what child depending on the severity of the condition. So this is what I'd like to tell you about the current research that we have conducted uh, over here. Yes, Raba. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Shanbal. I, I really like how you added that we can't know disorder if we don't know normal. Exactly. Yeah. So as clinicians, I think it's our job. If anyone's listening to this podcast and you don't know what's normal, go learn, go read because that's right. step number one. Yes. yes. It's okay to go back to basics for sure. Right. Yeah. And we want to apply, like, as you mentioned that research doesn't end in the lab. It needs to be applied to the actual daily clinicals just to see how it's going. And that's how we'll get better results. Right. 
Um, so we know that individuals with reading and writing problems may also experience difficulties in using language to even communicate, think, and even just learn. So is there anything else you would like to mention to our listeners, our students, any advice on advocacy or just anything else in general? Yes. Uh, first of all, what I'd like to say is, you know, learning disability itself is a very, very heterogeneous group. Okay. And there is a subgroup of children with learning disability, as we refer to as a language-based learning disability, which is LLD. Okay. And this is mostly the group that SLP should be interested. And frankly, what I would suggest is, uh, you know, this is a group wherein you see that children have reading and writing problems. They also have language issues. So what I would suggest is if you find that there are children who do not have language issues, but yet they have reading writing problems, I would suggest that you work in a team or you could as well be, you know, gentle enough to transfer the case to the other professionals. So uh, otherwise, you would be just, you know, losing out on a lot of time just working on language skills, but it is not so required, which is happening. That is, that's the reason that I'm saying this, okay? And mm -hmm. another thing is, um, when I say uh, language-based learning disabilities, these could be those children who've probably had a history of, you know, specific language impairment earlier in their life, but it never got detected. Okay, now, um, if you actually look at what's happening in India, we have something called as the Rashtriya Bal Swastya Karikram, which was initiated by the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare, Government of India, under which they're focusing a lot on early identification. Okay, so now Aish has chipped in to this program. Aish is a nodal center for training the speech and hearing professionals in the country for this. So this covers a range of zero to 16 years. So here, what I'm just trying to tell you is every district, almost every district of the country has a district early intervention center. So India is not lagging behind in wow. any ways. That's what I would like to say. Mm -hmm. So there are speech and hearing professionals in each one of these. You could make a lot of attempts to do early identification of these children. And SLI is one group that you should be very careful because, you know, they're the kids who, who you can really see a lot of progress because they don't have any other associated conditions. And don't let them become language-based learning disability. That's what I would like to tell the clinicians. And otherwise, I think, like I told you already, get your basics right. You don't have to be ashamed to go back and read your books again. Okay, get your theories right. Discuss with your professors. Okay, and see how best you can update your knowledge. Read up a lot. Okay, and try getting things done which are more clinically implicative. You know, I don't discourage from exploratory research. I think it's very much important. But clinical-based research is something that's always very close to my heart. And it is the need for the R because you know there are a lot of them who are dependent on you who want to know what has to be done with this child next. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once the professionals say it, I think, the, you know, it's more like words from God for a lot of people. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they take it quite seriously. So, you know, they, they kind of are ready to do what you say. So just take the best use of that opportunity and give them the right guidance. That's what I would like to say. 
That's beautiful. Yeah, I, part. <laughs> I know that was amazing. Um, and you're right. As clinician, speech language pathologists, we have the responsibility and honestly the privilege to help these individuals and we need to do it to the best of our ability. Right. Yeah. Uh, learning disabilities, like it can affect an individual just beyond academics. It like, it can impact their relationships with family, friends, and even like when they grow up and they start working in the workplace. So that's something right. we all need to just like keep that in mind. Right. So thank you, Dr. Intervention. Yeah. Yes. And intervention starts early. So yeah. that's something that as speech language pathologists, we should remember, encourage our patients to get correct advice, counseling, testing, all of that. Right. Right. Absolutely. So thank you, Dr. Shanbal, for taking some time to talk about literacy, learning disabilities. Us today, we're just so happy that you were here and just, just so appreciate you being here today. And I'm sure thank you so much. You too. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. This was, uh, you know, so much fun. And I think this is something that I always looked forward to do. And thanks again to, uh, you know, kind of put across, um, you know, let me put across my ideas to uh, people around. So I hope it was useful to all of you who are going to be listening to it. And um, wish you all the best, Rabab and Kineri. I think you're doing a great job. And it's Thank wonderful you. talking Thank to you, you guys. Ma'am. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Shanbar. We We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. And we are so grateful for all the support we've received and can't wait to see where this podcast goes. Thank you. See you soon.